0: Welcome back to another edition of the Southwest Climate Podcast. Mikey. Zachy. (laughs) Bi-monthly podcast.
1: Take it again. Don't ever call me that again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We skipped... October. Yeah. What the that, heck happened in October? Uh, not is, with the climate. We'll talk about that. No, no. But why didn't we do October?
1: I think we were trying to be spooky for Halloween. <laughs>
0: I think life just got busy. Yeah, I think
1: we were I think all three of us were out of town for much of uh, much of October. You went to Italy. Yep. Uh, ben went to Louisiana and I went to Globe. Saw my saw my people. You did, that's yeah. right. Yeah, How was the coffee?
0: Right. Well, the coffee's better here, to be honest with you. Europe, like, they're still on this espresso thing, and I think they miss... miss. <laughs> still on a, this espresso This thing. isn't a coffee podcast, although oh, it should
1: be. that could be our spinoff. I probably have more
0: expertise in coffee than I do about <laughs> well, climate.
1: <laughs> I feel like I have a better handle of coffee as well.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, it's been, uh, you know, the last time we were here. It was still yapping. the monsoon it season. It was still the monsoon season. Yeah,
1: you were flying high. Monsoon was still rolling along.
0: You know, there's a lot that's happened in... In a lot meantime,
1: happened. You weren't even here for most of it, were you?
0: October was amazing. We'll get into October. Yeah. Let me just go over the outline for those who, who for me, as who well? are deciding if they want to. Yeah, stick with Yeah. This is us a good time not,
1: to opt out if. Uh,
0: we'll spend just very briefly revisiting the ranks of the monsoon. We can give you thirty seconds, maybe a You're minute. You're going to wrap it up, okay? Uh, just to put the the monsoon in its proper resting place, okay. and then we'll move on. Talk about. What happened in October? Mm-hmm. October was very eventful in many ways, more eventful than parts of the monsoon. Yep. Bring you up to speed in November, and then look forward with El Niño, and we'll, we'll we'll deconstruct a little bit of of some of the science that's out there on on El Niño. Try to have a more nuanced conversation about about Enso. What do you think?
1: Okay, fine, whatever. Really? Do you have something else <laughs> in the bag? No, <laughs> just going back to Enso again. I just bring that up this time of year.
0: So the monsoon, let's just revisit this. Like I said, uh, we'll start at a city level. Tucson, out of 71 years, came in at 20th. 20th out of 71. 28 out of 72 in, in Phoenix. Flag, 14 out of 69. These periods of records are, are changing just because- Yeah, uh, how many
1: years for each station?
0: Yeah, the station uh, changes. And and those are at the, the airports. Obviously, there is a lot of variability within those areas themselves, which we've talked about a lot. Prescott, nine out of 58- Kind of the big winner, and then moving over to New Mexico and 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 northern Texas, El Paso was forty nine out of seventy eight. All okay. right, so Albuquerque twenty five out of seventy three. They got okay. close to five inches of rain, which is one hundred fourteen percent of average. Looking around the the state, and um, again on Mike's website, there's uh, he's got forty two stations that he's monitoring that have data. Some of those, some other of them ones, don't anymore. Yeah, some don't. of them actually shut down. But there's forty two that are reporting. The driest one came in at third, it ranked third, and there there was a tie in terms of ranks between Happy Jack, Arizona. And then the other one is near Farmington, New Mexico, Aztec ruins.
1: Yeah, I could imagine that far the far northeast part of Arizona and the far northwest part of New Mexico did not have a banner um, monsoon season. And so that was the place where the drought monitor is definitely lagging, rightfully so. It, the drought conditions are still quite bad up there.
0: And then the wettest rank was also third, and that was near Williams, which is just uh, west of Flagstaff. I don't know how to pronounce this, Mike. Seligman? Seligman, yeah. That's not surprising because that area was, was 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 quite wet.
1: Yeah, the sappy jacket just pulled it up. It's really surprising, and I had— Talked to some ranchers in uh, up along the Mogian, and they had noted that some places just got hammered through the monsoon, and then did quite well with the October rain, which we'll talk about. But there were some definite dry spots, and we know that that happens during the monsoon season, even in a really busy one. There are going to be places just by chance are just going to get left behind.
0: All right, and then finally, looking at those forty-two stations, twenty-six of them were average or above average, and sixteen of them were below average. So yeah, spatial variability. More, more good than bad, if you will. You know, a couple, couple take homes like really no firsts in either dry or or wet. Middle of the road, tilting slightly to to, to better than average for for the most part. So yeah, it's the I, monsoon. Excellent. I'm put over a, it.
1: Put a bow on it. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> I'm over it. <laughs> yeah, I it was good. I well, what give me what's your what's your memories now? What's your memory? Tell me, tell me how you feel about the monsoon 2018.
0: I think it was eventful, and I think it was it was pretty active throughout much of the the monsoon. It came on with a bang, and it ended with a bang. Yep. And you know, I felt like I, I said this last time, and I think you did as well. I felt like it sort of underperformed given the amount of moisture that was around. And 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 again, I think that that the, the, the take home point is that there's a lot of variables that have to come together on any given day to like. Actually, ring the atmosphere of uh, of water, but it wasn't a year in which there wasn't any wasn't any moisture around. So yeah, the I potential agree. was there.
1: Totally agree with you. Yeah, July, August, September precip rankings. Most of the state came in interestingly near normal. So mm-hmm. that'd be July, August, September. Far northeast part of the state did have pockets of much below, and then a couple of spots of record driest with some of the gridded data. So that's actually quite interesting. You think that's real? It's a tough area that we don't have a lot of monitoring up there. So Oh, and that's the four corners. It's four corners. Uh, I could I think that's actually right around Hopi, and I do know that Hopi ended up having a very dry but dry summer. Far northeast, far northwest areas of Arizona and New Mexico did not have the same monsoon that the rest of the the region in everybody else for those 3 months, not not too bad. Active, really interesting, a lot of variability in the kind
0: of weather we saw. So so then the monsoon, hurricane, uh, tropical storm Bud, or the remnants of Hurricane Bud, was yep. a hurricane, I believe. Yeah. Sort of ushered in the monsoon, literally on June fifth, uh, June fifteenth, mm-hmm. and then literally on the end of the monsoon, September thirtieth, we had another tropical storm that ushered in October. I know Rosa, right? We got the we we got, got all the thumbs names up on right. That. Okay, good. We're trying um, to get
1: all of our names right. There were so many storms in the Pacific; it was hard to keep track.
0: Yeah, so October, in, by my estimate, well, first I should say that for Tucson, October generated 2.6 inches of uh, of rain, which turned out to be so far the most precipitation of any month this year.
1: That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. And if we think back, the almost 20 years I've been here, I it's I'm sure it was the wettest October I've seen since I have moved here. And October's in general are not necessarily wet months. But they can be the wettest months of the year when they are wet. So it's a very interesting month because of the uh, impact of tropical storms.
0: So I just so happen to have that data. So the wettest month, the wettest October in Arizona, averaged over Arizona, looks like it was 72, Mm -hmm. followed by 2000. And then it looks like, oh, I don't know, something before 1900, which I'm not sure I, I believe I don't know, should I not believe that?
1: I, I don't know, it's your problem,
0: it's not my problem. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. Um, but, you know, yeah, so this year was somewhere between the third and the fourth wettest October. So by my estimate, Mike, and maybe you can narrate this a little bit more, but there were four distinct events uh, in Arizona. We had one uh, in the early part of October, like around October one through four. Uh, the remnants of uh, Tropical Storm Rosa. Then not too long later, October 6th, 7th, mainly in the northern part of Arizona, there was another event. And then around mid-October, somewhere between the 13th and 18th, depending on where you are, there was another event. And then, you know, October 23rd, 24th, there was the the final event.
1: I want to just talk a little bit about the East Pacific hurricane season uh, tropical storm season, and and I'm I'm pulling up the the Southwest Climate Outlook. So uh, Ben McMahon wrote this up in the most recent uh, SWICO, and he noted that there were 23 named storms, including 10 major Category 4 or above hurricanes this particular season, and it was also the most intense Pacific hurricane season on record. With the so they have this accumulated cyclonic energy index of 317, and that broke the record of 295 set in. Uh, 1992.
0: So that um, that's a measure of not just the frequency of these hurricanes, exactly. but also their duration and intensity. So it's an integration of right. which is a better measure of yeah, sort yeah. of the, the. You could have
1: you know you could have a bunch of storms that were marginal, and you could have a bunch of storms that were strong. So we distinguish between um, those two elements. So it was a very very busy East Pacific season, and I think that we knew going into the monsoon season that. Uh, that part of the Pacific was primed. We were drifting towards El Nino, lots of above average uh, sea surface temperatures in the East Pacific. So the conditions were right to have that activity. And we really lucked out in having the um, recurvatures that we thought might end up happening. That's true. Wait, we lucked
0: out by having some hurricanes recurve back into the southwest? we really did.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like we didn't see that coming. We knew that, you know, it's the conditions were right. And those those things were going to fire off.
0: California might not think that.
1: No, I don't think they do. And I think much of Mexico. I mean, these are these are very destructive storms. And I think we saw at the later part of the month where Hurricane Willa made landfall and Sinaloa. Yeah, it wreaked some havoc down there. And then it It moved across Mexico and then flooded out Texas. So Texas ended up having quite a bit of rain.
0: Of the 23, there were four that recurved back into the mainland. Yeah, Uh, and and
1: they were all, as you'd expect, late transition season – Except
0: for Bud. Bud was Bud Bud was was early season. That's right. Yes. And that was a that was an interesting sort of synoptic pattern that set up, right? It Mm -hmm. was some sort of it was kind of like a transition season. Yeah. It was
1: transition in, transition out, you know, is when we picked up these these uh, storms.
0: So you had like a a trough moving down and and basically um, that helped as the the, as bud sort of wafted north, it got entrained in that eastward moving air and, and recurved back in. Yeah,
1: and if you think about just the real basic mid upper level circulation patterns from the spring to summer to fall is there is typically kind of an upper level. Uh, well, we're in the westerlies, let's say that in the, in the spring. So mm-hmm. over Arizona, there is air moving from west to east. And so that's typically uh, moving at mid levels, drier air inland. And as the continent heats up and the subtropical ridge builds north, and we get into the core of the monsoon season, the ridge is overhead, and Arizona, if we're lucky, we're in easterly flow, which can then help sort of guide in the subtropical moisture. But at the same time, tropical storms are also getting caught up in those easterlies. Those easterlies are going to redirect and move most of the storms that form off the southern coast of Mexico out to sea. And that's what you see in the, the storm tracks for the whole East Pacific. Almost all of them are moving from east to west, right? And it's only at the transition season where we have some westerly component over the east Pacific that's going to drag those things up across the southwest.
0: No, but there's a, there's a few other uh, points that you brought up. It's it's sort of the climatology of, of the tropical storms. And on average, it's about 15 named storms and about seven hurricanes. So that would be categories one through five. And then three major hurricanes would be categories four and, and categories five, category five. This year then in the East Pacific, we were as Mike said, uh twenty-three, so that's substantially above the fifteen, twelve hurricanes, substantially above the, the seven and a half on average, and nine major um major hurricanes. Right. In fact, actually the prediction coming into the season was for above average for the reasons that you suggested. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I think we I think we leaned into it because the conditions were right, and that turned out to be a a, a pretty good, pretty easy forecast.
0: And so the the there was real warm warm sea surf, surface temperatures. Yeah, still are. Yeah. And then the ENSO event that was emerging, the El Niño, that has a tendency to reduce wind shear. Yep. And a reduce a reduction in wind shear then allows these storms to sort of generate. Yeah,
1: and there's this other interesting bit of research that's come out in probably the last 10 years about the sea surface temperature pattern from the east-pacific north, and it's called the Pacific meridional mode, and so it's looking at the pattern, sea surface temperature patterns, instead of east to west along the equator, as we do for ENSO on the southern oscillation, looking at it north up along the coast of uh, western North America, and we've been in this sort of warm... Pattern for m- several years now, since this sort of transition that we saw, like 2014, mm. um, kind of the onset of the of that El Nino event. There was a shift in this Pacific Meridional Mode, which is you know kind of still being researched. I don't totally understand. I I think there clearly people understand it. I don't understand it as much. It's related to some of the North Pacific Oscillation activity, which is also then connected back to Enso variability at longer timescales. But there are these some some of these other... Uh, sea surface temperature patterns, I think, kind of set the stage for that East Pacific activity. And th- and this Pacific meridional mode has been linked to East Pacific storm, uh, tropical storm activity in some of the research as well. Hmm. So that and ENSO, so as you're saying, ENSO giving a favorable up, upper level environment sort of socked in with this sea surface temperature pattern as well, good conditions to fire stuff
0: off. And... um the season itself ends basically in, in November. That's not to say that it can't form outside of that. In fact...
1: No, we've seen more yeah. activity all over, the, all over the world outside of the seasons uh, as of late, for sure.
0: The, the remnant of Hurricane Rosa was yeah. important in the beginning of October. Yes. Then that second event, I believe, was not related to a tropical storm, but was more of a of a, of a cutoff close low. Yeah. And
1: I, you know, I think we can even step back and say that we have to kind of make that distinction that it's very rare for the proper remnant circulation. And again, making that distinction of a hurricane is of a specific magnitude and is typically over very warm water. And that's what sustains it and and can either cause it to increase in intensity or to actually um, sustain it, right? And so the these storms weaken typically when they're disconnected from the warm water. And so there's a sharp gradient in that warm water in the East Pacific. So as these storms move north, they typically fall apart pretty quickly. And another way for them to fall apart is to interact with land masses. And so coastal tropical storms in Mexico are usually torn apart by mountain ranges, whereas you don't have that in the hmm. Gulf of Mexico, right? So those storms... Well, they'll disconnect from the ocean water, but they don't interact with topography. The storms here, like cr- when they move over the spine of the mountains in Baja, they're usually torn apart. And so it's that is a typically a, well, it's not good for Baja because they're taking it on the nose. Right. But for us, we don't end up having proper tropical storms typically make it all the way up here.
0: Yeah, it's very rare, and and yeah. you when you do you. You kind of have to have, you know, the right conditions for that for it to actually yeah. get a direct hit. Right. And these, re- I'm remembering a few years ago. Yeah, you, it, was, um, it was Odile.
1: It was Odeal, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Where we were watching the remnant, but it was and it was like weakening, and it had actually had decoupled, meaning that the surface circulation and the upper level circulation had decoupled, and these storms are they're stacked, you know, so the lower circulation, and the upper circulation are synced and they feed each other, and as soon as they're Disconnected, they're separate weather features at that point, and they they can't sustain each other. So I think even with Odile, we had a surface remnant, and that's what we call it remnant because it's a remnant of the initial storm, right? Right. I, I, I'm just making this distinction because the the storms that we had, and that um, r- Rosa was remnant circulation, and so it's it's primarily at that point it's moisture. And there's not a lot of dynamics associated with it. And so it's typically super soupy air. And then hopefully you have some other weather feature, like an approaching trough, which we do at this time of year, to destabilize the upper levels of the atmosphere. And so then you just create like autoconvective situations where it's just somebody coughs and a storm forms, basically.
0: So when you say that the, the remnant usually doesn't have dynamics associated with it, that basically means that in that particular area, there isn't uplift. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the, occurring, the, that there the, needs right. to be some other, the storms themselves can generate uplift. Yes, right. When, when they're yep. fully functioning. Yeah, well. they have
1: temperature gradients, you know, vertically and horizontally that will um, help sustain the convective processes. Yeah.
0: So then, for us, like you basically just stop the circulation as it goes over the the, the land, and you're just moving this big pile of moisture yeah. into a region. Uh-huh. But usually, when you do that, usually there is the other conditions present to generate rain, right? I mean, I guess not it always. I guess you know. it doesn't take a lot though when you have a whole bunch of moisture moving in.
1: That's true, right? Um, you can have. We've had the situation where um, we can have massive slugs of, uh, tropical moisture move into Arizona and they don't do anything other than make clouds, but we can also have situations where they can, you know, like create, um, you know, sort of self-sustaining mesoscale convective complexes, and that can then turn into vortices, you know, if they're sustained, like Norbert was that where it just, we had so much moisture that it was the atmosphere was just absolutely unstable and just rained out in the lower elevations. So Rosa if I'm remembering correctly was a little bit of both which was a lot of moisture, a little bit of remnant circulation but also interacting with a an approaching trough which would help with some of the upper level dynamics and sort of it it moves it forward which is important has some forward <laughs> forward momentum and then some upper level dynamics to help sustain some of the rainfall. And that's what you saw. You saw bands of rain, you know, multiple bands of rain training, moving over areas for long periods of time.
0: What about later in the month, Sergio, which was the the other tropical storm that recurved into south of us and, and, and influenced us? The precipitation expression was, was different. In fact, it was much more Sergio, which occurred mid-month, the precipitation amounts are basically confined to southeastern Arizona for the most—the so southern half of Arizona with a, a higher concentration in the southeastern corner. Uh, and not so much uh, at all in the in the northern stretches of the state. Conversely, Rosa, um, you can actually see that a clear trajectory of, of, of where the that sort of—the the low moved over.
1: That's true. That's actually right. And it yeah. went
0: sort of— Northeast, it entered and entered in. I don't know my geography, Mike. That was it
1: right it? over Tahana Autumn, was the Oregon Pipe. Oregon Pipe, mostly Tahana Autumn. So,
0: and it moved ba- basically from there northeast through Flagstaff.
1: I'm really glad there's two of us. I think together our brain can <laughs> reason out some of this climatology. That's right. And so, Rosa, as I'm sort of reconstructing my memory, the remnant circulation. Approaching trough, helping to sort of move and kick Rosa off to the northeast, was multiple sustained bands of rainfall. And that that's actually where Tahana Autumn got between five to seven inches over, I think, a day or something like that. And that's also where it, it ran up into the Phoenix metro area and then rained out on the mountain ranges north of Phoenix. So I think that that, that was like that kind of a direct hit, right? That, that thing was a thing and it was moving forward and rolled in there. Sergio was. More like Bud, if I recall, which was a, you know it was like a slingshot of moisture towards us. But then the real work was done by the approaching um, trough of uh, of low pressure, and that was the 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 cool thing about about October was that you had all this tropical storm activity in specific, you just had tropical moisture just parked you know just to the south of us, just waiting, and then we had a we had a really quite active mid latitude storm track that was digging down we had a mean trough basically so there's a mean if you averaged out for the whole an angry trough an angry trough that's exact i never thought about mean trough is that way but you're right it was a mean trough both in the in the statistical sense and in the aggressive sense that was moving lows pretty consistently through and near us dropping them down and the weather map you have up right now is um, right for the mid month of October. That's actually what we would call a Rex block situation, which is a high over a low. And that tends to be a very slow moving situation. You don't have a lot of movement in the the forward direction. So that, you know, that's a, that's a great, a great place to put one of those and to have some tropical moisture. You're probably going to get some good rain out of, out of that for the Southwest.
0: Yeah, we did. we did. Uh, in fact, well, you know, Rosa was was more intense, higher precipitation accumulations for some parts, but not for Tucson. Uh, Sergio in that mid-month of October uh, generated more rain during during that period for southeast Arizona. Um, and then, okay, Mike. So then, then moving along, sort of concurrent with Willa, mm-hmm. the third. Uh, hurricane in, in October yeah. that sort of recurved into this, this recurved into Sinaloa in Mexico. So pretty far South. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then uh, moved into Texas. Caused and then moved a bunch into trouble Texas. trouble there. Yeah.
0: Um, that was concurrent with, but probably didn't uh, the, the the rain event here in in the Southwest probably didn't tap into that.
1: I don't think so. I think that at that point, you know, this, this is we're transitioning and everything is sinking South, right? The intertropical convergence zone is sinking South. The sun angle sinking south, so everything's kind of moving away from us. At that point, um, the lows are now we're, we're getting disconnected from the subtropical moisture that's straight to the south. Uh, that I believe Willa was picking up something that was more mid latitude pineapple expressy, kind of out in the central to eastern Pacific, moving across there. Yeah, so troughs coming through can pick up those filaments. Not it was not I I, an atmospheric I, I, river, but it was. Not all that unlike that sort of trajectory. I think when you look
0: it. at the um, water vapor images, you can see a distinction that between like, pulling apart. Yeah, yeah, but that it's not that the the water vapor from Willa is not actually being entrained in. in yeah.
1: Yeah. That just, just that synoptic setup where Willa was making landfall and where our approaching trough was, it would be really difficult to move the moisture in our direction at that point. And it's getting late. It's, you know, by the end of the month, stuff starts to really shift around.
0: By all accounts, October for for nearly all of Arizona was a pretty active month. We there was a lot of rain greater than four and a half inches in many parts of the southern half of Arizona.
1: Yeah. The the picture across the state was record wettest for southwest Arizona. So kind of what we talked about, Ton Autumn, far western Pima County, parts of Yuma parts of southern Maricopa County. Record October. Record October wettest.
0: That's substantial.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting when we were kind of piecing this together, as you mentioned earlier, 1972 Mm -hmm. was the record wettest. And I even remember that I wrote this up in a paper talking about uh, October of 1972. Uh, That was a year where we had uh, very similar. We had a a landfalling tropical storm, Joanne, and then Multiple days of Joanne moisture getting moved up with a cutoff low, basically assisting. So not all that unlike what we saw this month, but just just the right setup that put a put as much rain as we've seen across the whole state. It's not to say that it's not the flood of record or the wettest for any given location. It was just that all of Arizona in the statewide ranks for the last 120 years, that was the wettest October record.
0: Concurrent with all of that. Precip brought cooler than average temperatures. And so yeah. you look across the state and it was it was fairly, fairly, uh, fairly cool. In fact, I remember thinking we had this abrupt transition to like, like w- Southwest winter. I know. Right after the monsoon, it was like, geez, there's yeah. no like m- middle ground here.
1: I think that we've been traumatized by the last couple of falls. I mean, I think that last-
0: Being, being w- pretty warm. Oh my
1: gosh. So remember last year? I'm not a guy that like, lives in the past. Even though I guess I'm a climatologist, so that makes it complicated. you um, last <laughs> You're summer, always living in the past, yeah, man. Yeah, apparently. Uh, they, last summer, Welcome to the now we live in the present, man. Um, last summer we had the monsoon we had we had the July that we still I think you know live out in our dreams, even though this this was a good this last July was great, but the previous of, of uh, 2017, monsoon shut down in August. And then we didn't have anything in September and then it got hot in October and then it got hot in November and then it got hot in December. And it was like summer just wouldn't end. Like we were in the nineties for much of October. And then I think even into November. Endless summer. Bleed, yeah, no, you're right button. though. It was, yeah.
0: I remember it being annoyingly warm. Yeah. Yeah. I but mean, this, this year I remember oh it my being gosh. like annoyingly cool.
1: I was fantastic. I was, <laughs> I, I've been, you can't please me, man. I've been wearing a new, I've been wearing a different coat from my closet every day just to like make sure it's. You know, moths haven't eaten it. and Still works, stuff like okay,
0: that. Okay, so I'm I'm conscious of time here, and we still got a lot to cover. Okay, so October twenty, let's say October twenty fourth, twenty fifth. That's basically when the precept shut off, and since then it's nothing. been dry as a bone. Yep, nothing. And we've, you know, when I was looking at the the weather maps, I mean, basically we've been on the sort of western side of a of a of a trough. Yeah. Yep. And so that that's actually helped. Cool down, mm-hmm. brought cooler air from from the north, but it's on that western side, which doesn't make it favorable for, for precipitation, right?
1: Nope. The mid-latitude jet, we've not been like parked under a ridge. You know, like that's that's normally where we are. And that's
0: probably what happened last year.
1: Yeah, yeah, we were totally. We are just parked under a ridge. You know, high pressure, heat, blah, blah, blah. So it's super boring and uncomfortable and it it's hot. And this year, jet's been active, a lot of bobbing around. A lot of the lows moving in, the troughs moving in, were kind of coastal landfalling troughs. And then just since late October into the last couple of weeks, as you as you noted, we've had sort of a strong ridge over the East Pacific. And then we've been on the, as you said, the west side of the trough. So that's caused a lot of cold air to pour in from the Great Plains all the way south uh, into Texas. And so it's it's been in the teens in like Nebraska, yeah. I think, and... It's been super cold. But the interesting thing is, is that that whole pattern has caused basically Santa Ana-like conditions, right? And so we – a lot of our cool down has been howling cold winds out of the east. And so it's been cold air pouring in from the east across New Mexico and Arizona trying to make its way out to the warm ocean right there. So it's, it's cold air sort of flowing back towards the sea. So it's been – Cool, but also very dry and very windy.
0: So I want to come back to that uh, because I think that's important, particularly in the context of what's going on in California with the mm-hmm. fire season. Yeah. But before before touching on that topic, what what causes the jet? Why are we having such a, um, a meandering jet stream this year, whereas last year it wasn't as much?
1: I don't know, man. I, it's like a ten million dollar question, and, and this is where you, you have to, you know, if we knew, then we would have predictive capacity at, you know, some of these times, like if there was a single causal mechanism, we could say that thing is there. So then for the next several weeks, we will expect this thing, right? It's kind of
0: all upstream stuff, right? And it's oh, like, totally, and, and then you're just circulating yeah. the glow. It's like, yeah. where does it end? Yeah. So you're we just can chasing your tail.
1: You know, we can go through all of the culprits. You know, it's going to be change in mean state across the Pacific, which would be sort of Enso moves, which will over time influence weather patterns, but aren't, you know, the weather's still going to be the weather. We can have the Madden-Julian oscillation, which is starting to kick in, but, and it, it could have been part of the upstream forcing in the jet stream. There's the whole uh, Siberian snow cover thing, which is an October-ish thing, which we start to see if that's going to then play downstream. I don't think that's on the, probably on the weather time scale. It can be on the weather time scale the Arctic Oscillation, sea ice extent at the north. Um, what other fun things do we have out there? I was kind of paging back through, and you can see like some of the indices, like Pacific North America pattern. It's just a pattern. It's just like a way of describing. Right. It doesn't talk about doesn't, the causal. It's not mechanism. predictive. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it does. It's not causal. So it was in a pattern for one half of the month, and then it flipped the second half. So it doesn't really say much. It isn't related to Enso, but. Probably not this time of year, and and so hasn't really kicked in, which we'll talk about. So I don't I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, and there's going to be the sort of weather time scale adjustments to the system as we're moving from fall into winter. It's interesting
0: well. though, because I mean that 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 pattern itself has a lot of influence on what the rain and, and temperature oh, totally, does yeah, in this particular yeah, this season. is
1: this is why as we'll talk about. I mean, like why the correlations between ENSO phase and total winter precip is 0.5. There's a lot of room for other, for other things to get in the way there. There's some information in there and it gives you a lean, but it, it's not the perfect determinant of a location's weather for an entire season.
0: Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I mean, like it, it is this fluid dynamics problem, which is why the, why you have these these jets and loop yeah, and... and, and it's,
1: it's weather, forecast, weather forecasting is hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And the, the more you ask of it, you know, for very specific locations, for very specific variables at longer timescales is where, it, you know, you're really, really pushing it, which we do, man. We push it. Well, it, We're mostly wrong. That's also, <laughs> I think, why.
0: Um, okay, so uh, I think you had a nice segue. Okay, well, you, you, you mentioned before about the Santa Ana winds, and I think it's... I think it's worth talking just very briefly about their role in California fires, which, for the second year in a row, and, and this year is particularly tragic. Yeah, I mean, some of the news that are coming that's coming out from the campfire, um, which to date has burned nearly one hundred fifty-two thousand acres, but that's, I mean, that is an understatement of uh, of, of what it actually means. Fifteen thousand structures. Seventy reported deaths so far, yeah. and hopefully that that number doesn't doesn't climb. But this is by all accounts the most destructive fire in the history of the U.S. I would think. I mean, I haven't looked that up, but I I, I look back on some fires in in Arizona and and the Yarnell fire a few years ago, where you know nineteen of the the firefight, firefighters lost their lives. At that time, it had been the most in terms of human lives. It had been the uh, not since 1991 had there been more deaths. By whatever measure, it doesn't even matter in t- terms of putting it into some sort of historical context. By any any measure, the fires in Northern California and actually around Los Angeles have been particularly devastating.
1: Is the Chicago fire of 1871 um, killed 300 people?
0: Yeah, that's important. As well, because that's an urban fire.
1: It was, and this was an urban fire too.
0: Was an urban fire, except um, it's at the urban wildland interface. Which yeah, I, the, Chicago is uh,
1: in the 1870s. It was too. That's
0: that's a good point. <laughs> so it All started in a
1: barn. Yeah, you know. So it's I don't know. It's not that different. I it, and Fair I think enough. that that's the the interesting thing about the fire here is that we haven't seen any contemporary things like in the 1800s. That was fairly common to have these large fires. It's not that common anymore, and that's why I think it's so absolutely striking to to have towns burned down. We, we're used to seeing large fires across the West, but they're out in the middle of nowhere, and they burn down a cabin, and we've got fire lines of Forest Service firefighters, but not they're not urban fires. Right. Like this is moving they're.
0: house to house. House to house. And it
1: was it was burning the houses more than it was burning the surrounding vegetation. The houses were carrying the fire, which is just... Fifteen thousand structures. Uh it's 15, just fifteen thousand homes. just nauseating. Um, just
0: just, uh, just flattened the entire town of Paradise. Yeah. So so okay, what what so, were the conditions yeah, that maybe so led up to this?
1: The Santa Ana winds. Um, they they originate when you have cool air masses that turn into these inland high pressures. So you can have cold air moving in. Um, it's usually continental air masses moving out of Canada and they'll slide down into the Intermountain West. And so that cold air is um heavy and the the ocean water is much warmer right mm-hmm. so you have this pressure differential that's set up by having warm moist air out over the pacific ocean which is of lower pressure and you have higher pressure inland and so it's basically like water you basically know behind it's a squeezing dam a tube yeah yeah it's it's water behind a dam and the mountain ranges they're not contiguous they can't dam- you can actually have situations where you can dam cold air behind Um, air masses. And it's permeable in these passes. So this high pressure, this cold air is going to actually move through passes to move towards lower elevations and to move out to the sea. And it's going to accelerate when it moves through these passes. Right. And it's also rolling downhill. It is. And and at the same time, it's compressing and it's warming and it's drying out. So as you have that uh, compression of moving to higher atmospheric pressures at lower elevations, you're going to dry out the air, you're going to warm it up and the speed of it. Uh, yeah, and is you're going creating that
0: wind at 50-60 miles an hour. Yeah, jumps.
1: and so this has been the real issue in California is that a lot of these fires end up being started by down power lines. And so Pacific Gas and Electric has had uh, issues over the last couple of years where they've started fires in the past couple of years that have led to enormous destruction across California. So they've been de-energizing lines. And so they now have to get into this situation where they have to anticipate these Santa Ana wind events and then power down the lines. And so I think this was a situation where there's some discussion that they didn't heed the forecasts well enough and they didn't have a good enough idea of where their power lines were susceptible to these wind events. They can do it. So it's like this constant learning. So the other aspects of this fire is that California's had some Amazing reversals in precip over the last ten years, and so they've had long-term drought conditions, uh, warming temperatures, killing off trees, wet conditions, growing up vegetation. So you know that those conditions where you're in a high biomass Mediterranean climate that is prone to fire, also background warming, background drought conditions, and this entangled wildland urban interface is just. It's a bad scene, and it's, it's a huge risk.
0: California typically has its peak in fire season at the end of, of, of the summer. They don't get any rain then. And, then. and then in November, rain starts to fall, and it moistens the landscape, and it sort of tamps back that, that, that risk. Well, it's been warmer than average, and also the, the, the rains, I believe in, in October, you know, California on average gets about three inches of rain. They saw a tenth of an inch. So yeah. it's been really dry in October. Yeah. And then, you know, in November, they get close to seven inches on average. And there hadn't been any rain in November up until it's this the fire.
1: timing. Yeah. It's just a knife edge of the timing.
0: So so when I was thinking about this, so like, what does it take to have a fire? Well, you have to have some fuel and it has to be flammable. Right. Yeah. But then what does it take to generate a large fire? Well, you have to have these amplifiers. Right. Like the wind being one of them. Yeah. The, maybe the duration and intensity of uh, of dry conditions prior to that is an amplifier. Maybe some unhealthy forest that could be thinned out or that hasn't been managed to to the degree that maybe it could be. And then you know may, maybe even like slow response or insufficient response to deal with like the initial you know fire when it happens. You know, I read a couple of articles where in in, in Paradise the escape routes were. Just in, they weren't big enough to traffic a number of people out in 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 time, and so they, there was a couple of routes to get out, and there was traffic, and and so there's all of that. Those all of those variables sort of come together in in these kinds of perfect storms. It's a
1: convergence of
0: just a lot
1: of yeah, a, a lot of those aspects that. How do we think about these? situations in the future, right? I mean, where, where can we do better risk assessment of communities? And this is something I think we, maybe we should explore in a future podcast about Arizona, you know, mm-hmm. about what, well, you know, can it, something like that happen here? It's a very different ecosystem, very different, while in urban interfaces, different seasonality, but you know, the, these are,
0: but I, why think, co- I, I think, why couldn't it happen?
1: Well, I, right. I think it could. And I think that when we think about communities across the state, you know, I think that, remember that, of, I was talking with a friend in um, Northern California who pointed out to me that this is a this is an area that gets 80 to 100 inches of rain a year in one season. It's a Mediterranean climate, right? So the biomass production, if you think about how do you manage mm. the biomass of a production, of a system that, that is that? Right, it's just right? totally producing. It's yeah, ramped up yeah. in overdrive because, yeah. of,
0: because of the rain.
1: Right, we don't have that necessarily in Arizona, That's right? True. I mean, like our wettest places are 40 inches or something like that. And right. so the ecosystem... You can get ahead of it, I think, and manage it a little more easily when it's of a lower productive, lower lower productivity, right? And so, when we think about the fires here, we're really off. We could this be another podcast for sure. You know, we have ENSO variability, which can um, produce fine fuel structure, and we can connect areas, and we can see that in in uh, historical fire records. But we do have problems with. Wild interim interfaces across Arizona. We do have communities at risk. We have programs like Firewise, which I think are super useful that we probably need to lean on a little bit harder. And we need to learn from some of these events. But California has its own unique set of risks because, and I really think this is a distinguishing characteristic between the Southwest and California, one season of precip, a very long fire season that's been getting longer. It's getting warmer. That climate change aspect is absolutely in that, that system. And just that tangle of, right. of things, and I think the things that you pointed out there too, and you know that those populations are a lot of retirees who right. have special Vulnerable needs. Vulnerable populations, yeah. You know, like at a community that's not, you know, absolutely wealthy, the capacity to think through that worst case scenario, which is a kind or to of do a, anything about it. Yeah, I mean to really get ahead of that, and then have a the situation for this is, I'm um, you know very few communities i think are going to have that
0: well it 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 definitely calls the need for increased uh, preparation yeah, across all absolutely. Uh, across and all i think fronts. it's
1: everything that you yeah. said you know it's everything from weather forecasting and using climate information to you know the utilities trying to think i mean the utilities now are are
0: right, under, i think there's a lawsuit. Being sued. yeah, yeah.
1: So, so they they've got a big big thing to to worry about there to the risk management side of it, to the fuels treatment, to, I mean, there's just so much to the, the disaster preparedness. Well, I mean, it's still going on, you know, the fire's still burning. There's the, the fatality we don't know yet. And so I think that, you know, at this point we're just, you know, thoughts with everybody out there and, you know, we can be, you know, sort of more pundit about it later.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay. So that gets people caught up Mm -hmm. um, to now. Yep. We're living in the now, Mike. Finally.
1: (laughs) Just a quick production note. Zach and Mike had so much to say that we're going to release the podcast in two parts. The first part will be what you just listened to with a recap of the monsoon, the October rain, and
0: fire in the Southwest. The follow-up will be about Enzo or El Nino and the forecast looking forward. Thanks. All right, Mike. Thanks again. Thanks, Zach. Catch you next month. Thanks, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. And thanks for Ben. I think he's going to get this out before before Thanksgiving. He's got
1: about two and a half hours of editing to do of
0: content. He can do it. He's the man. All right. Cheers. Southwest Climate Podcast is a production of CLIMAS, which is part of NOAA's Regional Integrated Science and Assessment Program and is housed at the University of Arizona Institute of the Environment. Mike Crimmins is a Principal Investigator with Clemas, a Professor of Soil, Water, and Environmental Science in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, and Climate Extension Specialist with the University of Arizona Cooperative Extension.
1: Zach Guido is a Research Scientist with the Institute of the Environment and UA Program Manager of the International Research and Applications Program. The podcast is edited and produced by Ben McMahon, research, outreach, and assessment specialist
0: with Clemas. Were you listening? What were you saying? (laughs) (laughs) No, of course I was listening.